in the book of Exodus as we're going through the Bible on Wednesday nights. And we're going to pick up in chapter 2, verse 11. Appreciate Sean starting off uh, the book of Exodus for us last week. So, We're going to be looking at the calling of God tonight. God's calling upon our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you love us and that you desire to use us and that you do a place of calling upon our lives. And just like you called Moses, Lord, you spur us on to steps of faith. And so we pray that you would speak to us tonight uh, through your word, that we would see you in a greater way through the life of Moses. In Jesus' name, amen. As we see God calling Moses, we learn about our own calling. In Ephesians chapter 2, it tells us that we're saved by grace to be his workmanship. And in the Greek, the word workmanship is poema. It means poem, we're God's story. So the grace that saves us is also the grace that uses us. And we're going to see God's grace in Moses' life. God is really calling him and equipping him through grace. And God is calling us and equipping us through grace as well. Verse 11 of chapter 2. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown that he went out to his brethren and looked at their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian, a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that way, and when he saw no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two Hebrew men were fighting, and he said to the one who did wrong, Why are you striking your companion? Then he said, Who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. The first thing that we learn about God's calling tonight is that it comes out of failure, if you're taking notes. Moses has great potential. He is the prince of Egypt. You would think he's on this natural course uh, to leadership up until this moment where he takes things into his own hands. He sees one of his fellow Hebrews being taken advantage of, and he sticks up on their behalf and kills the, the Egyptian. He, he went too far. He's a murderer. He's taken someone's life wrongly. Is this who you would think would be the deliverer of God's chosen people who are in bondage? Do you think that this would be the great leader that would lead the children of Israel through the wilderness? He's failed. And Moses is on this trajectory of learning first 40 years of his life is that he's somebody. He's the prince of Egypt. But now in this second 40 years of his life, he's going to learn that he's nobody. But the last 40 years of his life, lived to be 120 years old, he learns that God can use anybody. And it's through our failures that we come to understand that we're nobody. We come to understand, I don't have a lot to offer God. God's not looking for my creativity. He's not looking for my wisdom or my eloquence, my, my talents. He's waiting for me to be broken and realize that God will use someone who is weak and who is foolish. And you may be here tonight, and you may be checking out already and saying, this Bible study's for someone else. God can't use my life. My life is too flawed. It's, it's too broken. 
God will have to pass me by. But you're the exact person that God wants to use. God loves using broken vessels. He loves using the weak and the foolish to confound the wise. And so don't let your failures disqualify you from being used by the Lord because it could be the very thing that qualifies you. How so? Because it's going to drive you to the foot of the cross. And isn't that what ministry is all about, is bringing people to the foot of the cross and showing them how much Jesus loves them and the forgiveness of sins? We're sinners who found a savior. We're beggars who have found bread by God's grace. They get to point other beggars to, to bread as well. So as you see different opportunities to serve the Lord and you say, no, that, that's not for me because these are my failures. These are my struggles. These are my past sins. These are my, my current sins is look at the life of Moses. He's a murderer. And yet God is going to choose him to be this great leader and place this great calling upon his life. So now he's in the land of Midian. He's just sat down by this well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water, and they filled their troughs to water their father's flock. Then the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. In this arid wilderness, desert climate, water is so valuable. And here come the seven daughters to water their father's flocks. And, and as they're watering the flock, the, the shepherds push them away, saying, no, you, you can't bring your herd here. And, and Moses stands up in their behalf, and this then opens the door of the father's attention. So we can see inside of the makeup of Moses is he has a heart to stick up for others, doesn't he? Uh, that's really what his heart was after when he stepped over the line uh, with the Egyptian. And here, once again, he's stepping out on someone else's behalf. So the daughters come home. When they came to Raul, their father, he said, How is it that you have come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us from the hand of the shepherds, and he also drew enough water for us and watered the flock. So not only did he stick up for them and shoo these shepherds away, but he, Moses drew all of the water for, for these ladies. He served these seven daughters. So he said to his daughters, and where is he? Why is it that you have left the man? Call him that he may eat bread. When you've got seven daughters, you're always looking for a potential husband. <laughs> and so he's like, girls, why did you let this guy get away? Go get him, you know, bring him over for barbecue. Let's get this guy. So they go and they get Moses in verse 21. Then Moses was content to live with the man and he gave Zipporah his daughter to Moses. So Moses is content to live here in the wilderness. He marries Zipporah. And this is a big part of God's calling. And please hear this. God's calling is birthed out of contentment. Not only is God's calling built, birthed out of failure, but it, it comes out of contentment. Sometimes I think that we're longing for God to call us to a new job, to a new location, to a new step of faith, when really it's coming out of discontentment. It's not coming out of God's calling at all. We just want to change the scenery and we call it God's calling, right? Or we feel this void in our lives and think, man, if the Lord would use my life, 
then I would be satisfied. But true contentment can only become found in the Lord. And I've noticed God's calling on people's lives, it seems to happen when they're in a place where they're content in the Lord. And they say, man, I've learned to be content. I've learned how to be in the wilderness, hang out with sheep, and this is where the Lord has me. I'm fine with that. The Lord is enough. Jesus is enough. He's, he's more than enough. Because if we're serving out of a place of looking for fulfillment or looking for contentment, we'll always come up empty and oftentimes will hurt other people in the process. So if we can't be content where God has us now, we won't be content with where God has us in the future. When we look at Moses' life from a panoramic view, these were probably the sweet days of Moses' life. <laughs> Simple days. Because he's hanging out with the sheep, hanging out with his wife, hanging out with his kids. Things get very difficult for, for Moses as he steps into leadership. Is it worthwhile? Absolutely. It was God's calling. It was everything that the Lord had for him. But it's not that better days are necessarily our head. We could be living our best days right now. You know, enjoy that simplicity that the Lord has. Do you feel like you're walking around in the wilderness? Do you feel like you're hanging out with sheep? Say, okay, Lord, I get it. I can walk around this track, this mundane routine of life, and I can be content in you. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, he says, this is something that he learned to be content. How to abound and how to be abased. That means that contentment doesn't come naturally, right? We're not born with a heart of, of being content. Then Paul went on to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He says, Christ is the source of my contentment. So not only is it learned, but it takes place through Christ. He's content to dwell here. In verse 22, and she bore him a son. He called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a foreign land. Gershom literally means stranger there. So he didn't feel at home here. He feels as a stranger here in Midian, as a shepherd. In verse 23, now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. God's working through the process of time. This is difficult for Moses. It's difficult for the children of Israel. They're still in bondage, but the Lord is working. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. Calling, the calling of God, number three, comes out of groaning and crying. Groaning and crying. It's as if the pain gets more difficult for the children of Israel in bondage. And now it gets to a place where it's unbearable and they're groaning and they're crying before the Lord and the Lord hears that groaning and the Lord hears that, that crying and he remembers his covenant with the nation of Israel. In verse 24, so God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob and God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. This is a mystery when we look at who God is and his sovereignty, that he is God and he does what he pleases. But yet he listens to the prayers of his people. 
He's waiting for us to cry out to him. There's a work that God wants to do in our lives that comes through prayer as we pray according to his will. But when we look at God's deliverance in our lives and in people's lives around us that we love and the communities that we live in, it's going to come through groaning. It's going to come through crying out to the Lord. I mean, you can picture the children of Israel in bondage crying out to God. God, we're your chosen people. It sure doesn't feel like it. God, you promised us the land of Canaan. Generations are passing and we're continuing as slaves in Egypt. Where is that promise that you gave to Abraham and and Isaac and and to Jacob? And they're crying and lamenting and crying and lamenting, but the Lord's listening and the Lord heard that prayer. There's so many instructions that are given to us about prayer that we're to be fervent in prayer, that we're to ask, to seek, and to knock. And the idea is to keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, keep crying out uh, to the Lord. The great revivals that have happened in church history have happened because God's people were moved to groaning and crying. God's people were moved to be desperate before the Lord, to ask for God's intervention, to ask for God to work, to to ask that God would awaken up hearts uh, to him. So God's now looking upon the children of Israel and acknowledging them. God's means of deliverance is going to be through calling Moses. In verse 1 of chapter 3, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he fed the flock to the back of the desert. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Life is just moving along at a very slow pace for Moses, a snail's pace, if you would. And he leads his flock to the back of Mount Horeb, and on this particular day is going to be different. God's going to speak to him. And this is the fourth thing that we see about calling. The calling of God comes out of faithfulness. The calling of God comes out of faithfulness. It comes out of failure, comes out of contentment, comes out of groaning and crying, but it also comes out of faithfulness. Moses is being faithful here. God is calling Moses while he's being faithful to do the simple task of being a shepherd. Moses could have been so discouraged, and I'm sure he fought it. Could have been so overwhelmed. He could have said, I'm just gonna plant my rear here in the wilderness and die. I'm done, right? My life doesn't seem to have a lot of purpose. No one's going to be writing a book about my life. Moses the shepherd. How boring, right? But he's being faithful. He's being faithful in the little things. He's being faithful in what God has placed in front of him. Jesus told us if you'll be faithful in little, you'll be faithful in much. But if we're not faithful in the little things, we won't be faithful in the great opportunities either. We don't think that way a lot of times, don't we? We go, man, if it was just a bigger opportunity, then I would work hard. Then I would take it seriously. Then I would apply myself. Daniel and Joseph were faithful in the little things. We see Nehemiah being faithful as a cupbearer. Elisha the prophet was called by God when he was plowing the field with a yoke of oxen. And the Lord says, there's a man that I'm going to be using to change the world, Elisha. At that time, there was a school of prophets. There was a Bible college. There was a seminary. Elisha did not attend the school of prophets. He did not attend the seminary. 
Not that there's anything wrong with that. He was working hard, just being faithful to the Lord. Do those little things unto the Lord because God is going to bring calling into our lives when there's faithfulness. The work of deliverance that God wants to do for the children of Israel begins with God calling a person to the task by God calling Moses. And that's the same way that God's work is today. God wants to bring people to know him. God's concerned with the lost. God wants to bring encouragement to his people. God wants to plant churches and change communities. How does that happen? It happens through the Lord calling individuals. He, he calls people and says, look, I'm giving you this burden. I'm calling you into this, this task. So here's how it happened for, for Moses. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. <laughs> bush catches on fire, but the bush is not being consumed. This would get your attention. This is God's whole purpose in this, is to get an intention grabber for Moses. And Moses goes, I've got to investigate this. This is a little bit different. And when we are determining the call of God and the voice of God in our lives, look for something that's a little bit out of the ordinary. Go, you know, this seems a little bit different. The, the bush is on fire, but it's not being consumed. God, what's going on here? This circumstance, it, it just may be that you are trying to get my attention. Now, don't over-spiritualize stuff. Like, I got two flies in the house, and so that means that I must move to Mexico because there's, you're like, what is this, Lord of the Flies theology, right? No, it's just been really hot, and it hasn't rained, and the flies have gone crazy. Plus, it's the night before trash day, so there's flies in the garage. And don't over-spiritualize. But at the same time, be open to say, Lord, are you trying to get my attention here, you know? We don't want to miss the burning bush that's right in front of us that's not being consumed. So Moses stops and he turns aside to see this. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. We can't help but hear the voice of God as Moses, Moses, you know, when you read that. But who knows what it sounded like. But Moses responds with willingness. He knows, responds with availability. Here I am. God, I'm listening. Then he said, do not, draw, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. This is the presence of the Lord. So take your sandals off, because it's reverent to the presence of God. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look up upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of Egypt, and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land." to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and the Outosites, all of them. 
For Moses, I wonder how much of his time there in the wilderness was reflecting back on to his brethren in Egypt that were slaves and thinking about their suffering that they were going through, thinking about the promises of God and would they ever come into the promised land. And to hear God's voice of saying, I'm going to deliver them and I'm going to bring them into the promised land. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Here's where it gets personal. (laughs) Moses is probably going, oh, this is so good. Lord, thank you. We need deliverance. We need to be taken into the promised land. But now God says, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. I'm going to use you to bring my people out of Egypt. Who's the last person that Moses wants to go see? Pharaoh, right? He's the prince of Egypt, but he's fallen because he took things into his own hands. Last he's heard, Pharaoh wants to kill him, and he's going to have to go confront Pharaoh. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go up to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses' struggle with the call of God is our struggle as well. As soon as he hears what God wants him to do, he looks at himself instead of looking at God. And God's trying to get Moses' attention off of himself and onto himself. Because when Moses looks at himself, he's like, who am I that I should go up to the Pharaoh? Who am I that I'll deliver the, the children of Israel? So in verse 12, so he said, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain, Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb would be the place where God would give Moses the Ten Commandments in the future. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? He knows God to be the God of his fathers, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But what's your name? I want to know your name. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. What a great description of God. What a great name for God. I am that I am basically means that I'm the Almighty. I'm the Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I'm the all-powerful. I'm the sufficient one. And this is just as much for Moses as it is for Pharaoh. This is what Moses needs to know. And he needs to understand his calling is not about Moses' ability or lack of ability. It's about God's greatness and his strength and his sufficiency and his ability. And when we get our eyes upon the great I am, the I am that I am, then that gives us confidence to be able to step out into the call of God. Maybe we've been wrestling with, Lord, you've been putting this on my heart for some time, but who am I? I have these insecurities, I have these fears, and to put our eyes upon the great I am, the one who is able in spite of our weakness. 
In verse 15, moreover, God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. I am that I am is God's name that stands out to all generations. It's a message to us as well. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me saying, I have surely visited you and have seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites. We have all of the ites, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Then they will heed your voice, and you shall come, and the elders of Israel, to the king of Egypt, and you shall say to him, The God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not even by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand, and strike Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in its midst. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall be when you go that you shall not go empty-handed. But every woman shall ask of her neighbor, namely of her who dwells near her house, articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing, and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians." (laughs) What's God's message to Moses? It's going to be tough. Go to the elders, then go to Pharaoh, ask for three days. Pharaoh's going to say, no way. Pharaoh's going to harden his heart, but I am going to do great wonders. My hand is going to move. And then ultimately, Pharaoh is going to surrender. I'm going to give you Pharaoh to the... I'm going to give you favor to the Egyptians to when you're leaving as slaves, go to your neighbors and ask for the bling bling. Could you imagine? Hey, we're leaving. You're losing your labor force. And we, you know that three to six months uh, savings that you put aside? We know you're a Dave Ramsier and you've been putting some money away. Uh, why don't you just go ahead and bring that out? And they're like, okay, here's the silver. Here's the gold. Here's some nice clothes for your kids, Right? How do you explain that? It's God's favor upon the children of Israel. Well, this is not the end of the discussion for Moses. We see Moses' fears and his insecurities coming out in verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose that they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say, The Lord has not appeared to you. This is the fear of rejection. Moses goes back to the children of Israel, to the elders, said, man, God's showed me this, the burning bush, the great I am. They're like, nah, God didn't speak to you. God's not in this. If he goes to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's like, no way, I'm, I'm not going to respond. You must be joking. I'm not going to release my, my slaves. And don't we have that same fear of rejection as well, especially when it comes to the things of God? You step out in something that the Lord's put on your heart and maybe there's a fear that your own spouse is going to be like, Psh, as if, I know you. God can't use you, right? 
You got to get your act together before you can step out in in the things of God, right? Or you share with other brothers and sisters in Christ, and you're like, "Oh man, I really feel stirred, and I think God is calling me to do this, and I'm going to try it." And they're like, "No way! That's no one's going to listen to you. No one's going to respond. God, God's not going to move." And that deep-seated fear of rejection, or this desire to share the gospel with someone and share the love of Jesus Christ, but then this fear of rejection. What if they don't want to have anything to do with me any longer? And Moses is wrestling with that same fear. God speaks to him in his fear. So the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground and it became a serpent and Moses fled from it. (laughs) If this is not a weird day already to begin with, during this whole conversation, Moses still watching the burning bush that's not burning. And then God says, what's in your hand? It's this rod. And Moses would be very familiar with this rod. This would be his staff that he would use to lead his sheep. And now God says, I want you to cast it down. And as he casts it down, it becomes a snake of all things. And Moses is like, whoa, get me out of here. And he flees from, from the snake. But God speaks Then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. So this is one of the signs that God's giving to Moses to confirm, I am calling you. Here is this supernatural sign in front of you. And God oftentimes wants to use what's in our hand on a daily basis. This is... Moses's occupation of his, if you would. It's his profession. It's what he does every day. And yet he had to lay it down at the feet of Jesus, lay it down before the Lord, and pick it up by the tail, pick it up from a, a different perspective. And a lot of times we need to take what God has placed in our hands and surrender it to him, but then pick it up from another perspective and say, God, how can I use this for your glory? What do I mean? For me, growing up, as I've shared at different times, I played a lot of basketball, and I really enjoyed it. But it was really for myself. It was motivated uh, selfishly, and it had nothing to do with the glory of God. And then when God got a hold of my life, I felt really encouraged to lay basketball down, to just be willing to, to surrender it. And then for a season, the Lord let me pick it back up again from a different perspective of not being self-focused, but how basketball could be used by the Lord to glorify him. And it was a completely different perspective. So what may be in your hand may be accounting. That may be what you do. And the Lord says, lay it down and pick it up from the perspective of how can you use it for my glory? How can you go to work every day and do it for the glory of the Lord? You know, maybe a hammer that is in your hand. How do you put that down and pick it back up and say, how do I do this for the glory of the Lord? It may be parenting, you know, maybe a child that is in your hand and that's what your life is consumed with and to place our children in God's hands and say, Lord, how do I pick this up from another perspective and do this for your glory? But oftentimes what God wants to use is what he's placed in our hands. In verse five, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. So there's this deep spiritual history of going back to the faithfulness of God through the generations. 
Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. And he put it into his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. You know, stick your hand in your shirt. When you take it out, bam, you got leprosy. This feared disease, skin disease that there's no cure for at the time. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand into your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, Now put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like his other flesh. So God's given him some pretty gracious supernatural signs here. Like, Moses, you're not having psychosis. This is really me. I'm confirming this. And we want to look for God's confirmation in our call. Say, Lord, are you in this? Would you, would you confirm the call? Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on dry land, the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. And that's exactly what we'll see happen as we continue in the book of Exodus. Moses isn't done. Then Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you've spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Where is Moses' perspective in all of this still? It's upon himself. First, it's the fear of rejection, and now it's the fear of his lack of ability. And it's very real. He's not eloquent of speech. He's slow of tongue. He probably stuttered. I don't want to be the one that has to go before Pharaoh stutter through the phrase, let my people go. Not a chance. That's not going to be powerful. That's not going to be effective. That's not going to cause Pharaoh to say, yeah, I want to let my people go. So what keeps us from moving out in God's call? A lot of times it's our own failure, isn't it? I failed. God can't use me. Well, then it's this fear of rejection. What if I step out and the things that God has for me and there's no response. I get rejected because I've followed God's call. Then we begin to look at our lack of ability. We start going, man, I, I can think of so many more people that would do a much better job at this. But this is who God chose. God chooses Moses because through Moses' failures, through his fears, through his lack of ability, God can show his glory. Because it's not about Moses. It's about the Lord. So if Moses comes with his failures and all, with his lack of ability, with his slow tongue, and the Lord uses him, all the glory goes to the Lord. And that's what the Lord's interested in. He uses the weak and the foolish to confound the wise. He calls people from very unusual places and unusual backgrounds for his, his glory. But we all wrestle with this, just like Moses. I wrestle with it. You wrestle with it. We all wrestle with it. When the Lord's stirring my heart and calling me to something, whether it's something simple 
or something a little bit not so simple, I've always got a lot of good reasons to share with the Lord why that's a bad idea, right? Or this is a really bad idea. I think you got the wrong person. I don't think this is going to work, you know? I'll just stay safe in what I'm used to. I like hanging out with the sheep. I'll just keep hanging out with the sheep. That, that sounds good, good to me, right? And notice the Lord's response here. And I love this in verse 11. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? God says what? I don't make mistakes. You see this as a weakness, but who made your mouth? I made your mouth. And this is the way that your, your mouth is for my glory. People that don't know the Lord may look at someone who is blind and think that God made a mistake. Look at someone who is deaf and say, God made a mistake. Or they may even go to the extent of saying, well, how could a loving God allow someone to be blind? Remember the man in the Gospel of John who was born blind. And Jesus declared to the disciples, because the disciples says, who sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus said, no one sinned, but this is for the glory of the Lord. God's allowed this man to be born blind so his glory could be revealed. One of the things that drives me nuts is how society and the world says, you've got to look a certain way, right? So here's the mold of how women should look. Here's the mold for how men should look. The problem is nobody looks like that. The only people that look like that have been photoshopped, right? It's not even real. It's not even an accurate portrayal. But yet this is the standard of which we think. I've got to look like this. And we're striving throughout of our lives to, to look this certain way. And if, if I don't have all of this, then then I'm missing the ideal. And no, you're made exactly the way God wants you to be with the exact personality and build and strengths and weaknesses. Really what God is saying to Moses is saying, look, I'm so big and I'm so powerful is I can use your weakness for my glory. Here's a weakness, your slow speech, but I can use that for my glory. In verse 12, now therefore go and I will say to your mouth and teach you what you shall say. And I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. God says, go. And I'm going to take care of your insecurities. I'm going to take care of your lack of ability. I'm going to be with your mouth. And I'm going to teach you what you should say. What a beautiful journey with the Lord. And as we step out in faith and the things that God has for us, we grow in the Lord. He instructs us and he teaches us. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. He's begging with God, saying, Send someone else, please. I, I really don't want to do this. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. God is frustrated here because he's like, Moses, I keep telling you I can do it. I keep telling you I can do it. I got this. I got this. I got this. And I'm even showing you some really powerful signs. Your rod just became a snake and then became a rod. Your hand was leprous and 
Now it's not. I'm going to be faithful. I'll overcome your weaknesses. And God then allows Aaron to join the journey with Moses because Aaron is eloquent of speech. But as we'll see as we continue to study the book of Exodus, this was not God's ideal plan. Aaron becomes a real pain in Moses' side. The golden calf ring a bell? Who was involved with that while Moses was up seeking the Lord? It was, it was Aaron. This was not God's best. And when we falter in, in unbelief, we'll miss out on God's best. A few more verses and we'll be done. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people, and he himself shall be as a mouth for you, and you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand, which you shall do the signs. So you're going to speak to Aaron, and Aaron's going to be your mouthpiece. And I want to end on verse 18 tonight. So Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Moses doesn't quite have the courage to be fully honest here. I just want to go see my brethren to make sure that they're alive. Is that fully true? He's going to see God do a work of deliverance. But this is what I want you to hear tonight as we end, and it's Moses' obedience. He went. He went. He went. Even though he argues with God, he brings up his fear, he brings up his insecurities, he gets Aaron along the way, not God's best, but he goes. He goes. How many times in our lives do we miss the call of God and we say no? And Moses could have said no, but instead he said yes. And because of it, we see this great work of redemption brought through Moses' life. So first, don't allow your failures to disqualify you. You serve the God of the cross and the resurrection. He has paid for our failures and he wants us to receive his forgiveness and move forward in faithfulness and see him use our lives. And then let's not look at our ability, but let's look at his ability. It may be true that we're slow of speech. It may be true that we have this weakness or that weakness or someone else could do it better or has better leadership skills or potential. Don't look at that. Look at the Lord's ability. He's the great I am. And then most importantly, because of who God is, because he's the great I am, is say yes. Say yes. And you may be saying, well, Eric, I don't really know what you're talking about here. Because this is Moses, but does God really have a call on my life? And what does that mean? How do I, how do I know the call of God in my life? Well, because of Ephesians 2, we're created for good works. We're, we're created to be his, his workmanship. He's got a story of good works for us to walk in. Is don't overcomplicate this. The call of God, 
does look like whatever he's placed in your hand. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it wholeheartedly unto the Lord. Okay, Lord, what have you placed in front of me? That's your call that you, you have given me. And be faithful there and start in that place. And as you're serving the Lord, it may be as simple as the Lord puts on your heart your neighbor. And you're like, why am I thinking about my neighbor? And you're burdened to pray for them. And then you're feeling led to go over and have a conversation with them. That's the call of God. And we're at a place of saying, am I going to be yes? Am I going to be obedient to go over and and talk with my neighbor and, and see what God may do? It may be for years in church, you hear things like a need in children's ministry. And you're like, oh man, you know, there's this thing in my past. And when I was 15, I did this or he did that and I don't I don't know you get stuck and you say I, I can't serve in in children's ministry but for years it's been stirring there and there's that that burden and you go I know it's from the Lord I know I'm supposed to step out and serve in in children's ministry or maybe for years you've been hearing about these short-term mission trips that have been coming along and go man the Lord's calling me to go on a mission trip I don't have the money you know I don't I don't have the best personality for missions trips. I'm kind of an introvert, right? I, I don't think that that's for me, but yet there's still this, this burdening and this calling and this desire of, of God and, and step out and say yes to what the Lord has for us. And there may have been times in our lives where we've said yes in the past, but let's continue to say yes today. Let's continue to say yes in the future. When the Lord knocks upon the door of our lives and says, hey, I have this for you, say, okay, Lord, you know I'm scared. You know I don't really want to. You know I wish you'd send somebody else. Are you sure? But yes, yes. And pack up your stuff and go back to Egypt and see what the Lord does. Because we've only got one life to live. That's it. And then when it's done, it's done. I'm reminded this time of year how quickly life passes. Why? Because the grass is communicating it's finished for the season. It's starting to fade already. And it was so green just a few weeks ago. So healthy with all the rain. And now it's like, right? And what does the Bible tell us? That we're like the grass that withers quickly. From God's perspective, he's like, you're going to be soon. You've only got one life to live. So use it for the Lord. Say, say yes to the things of the Lord. And the Bible teaches us, no matter what our age is, young or old, somewhere in between, that we can all be used by the Lord if we're available to him. And everything counts. Everything counts. Because it's under the Lord. God doesn't see big. He doesn't see small. He sees faithfulness. So there's a child to invest in. That's what the Lord has for me. There's this elderly person to invest in. This is what the Lord has for me. There's these numbers to crunch for the glory of the Lord. That's what the Lord has for me. There's an opportunity to share the gospel. That's what the Lord has for me. Lord, I want to say yes to your calling. And I want to encourage you, you will never regret it. Yes, it'll be difficult. And yes, it'll be challenging. But it will be worthwhile. So let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you call us by grace and you don't disqualify us because of our failures. That's amazing. We're so thankful for that. We thank you that it's not 
our ability. It's not our intellect. It's not our talents. But it's your ability. You're the great I am. We thank you that your calling is for the weak and the foolish, the available to you. Would you make your calling clear in our lives? Help us to be faithful where we're at. And would you use our lives for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen.